0: hey guys welcome to treat up podcast with hosts kevin atwood and stephen skaggs brought to you by wild leg productions Hey guys, welcome back to Treat Up Podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here with Stephen tonight, and we've got a great guest on the line. Hopefully you guys, you're probably listening to this after Halloween, but maybe you're sitting down tonight eating your Halloween candy already, but uh, we've got a great guest on the phone, Mr. Dave Sullivan, and Mr. Dave, if you could go ahead and let these people know who they're talking to. Oh
1: uh, yeah, hey, my name's Dave Sullivan. I'm from a little town called Ulee, Florida. Uh, I actually live on the Florida-Georgia line now. A little town called Folks in Georgia. I moved up here about four or five years ago so i'm living in folkestone
0: now you uh you hunt for am i going to say this right obx kennels am i saying that right
1: uh yes sir yeah obx yeah outer banks kennels yeah it's uh, run and maintained by marty munns um yeah i got on board with him and he uh was able to got part of a dog that I, I had that i had me and mr joey dennison had had together and i was wanting to Kind of branch out, go to some bigger hunts, bigger events, you know, kind of limited to my area and finances and stuff like that. So once I was able to, you know, get noticed, one enough, I guess you could say, and, uh,
2: yeah,
1: got to recognize, you know, me and Mr. Marty, we've been talking ever since I kind of got into squirrel hunting, and he told me if I ever wanted to come on board and have the right dog and the right situation worked out. So God bless me in that aspect, you know, so
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah, I got on a Last year, toward the end of the year, I don't know where it'll go or whatever, but you know, he he promised me, you know, said we'll give a give a shot this season. until so we got some entries to some bigger hunt. Hopefully, the Lord bless me, and I'll be able to be able to do good him, you know, for him. Cause uh, he's surely been good to me
0: oh yeah absolutely now we we like to talk about this on the show and actually me and you and steven's already talked a little bit about it but can you uh tell us what you got in your kennels now i understand i think you just took some dogs out this evening and let us know what you got going on right now
1: yeah i'll uh you know like i said i've been blessed i uh when i first got into the squirrel hunt you know just kind of quick to, to get back and then we'll we'll kind of spring forward but uh you know, I got hooked up with Mr. Joey Dennison and, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that later. But um me and him we've owned, owned several dogs to together. Uh, still got a few together. Uh, got the uh, Sammy female, which, you know, the folks that, that know me have watched me, you know, through the years. She's uh she's double Johnny Rocket Bread, uh, original Mountain Curve, legacy mountain curve female. Uh, you know, been pretty successful with her. I think I've got in the top three, I think, and three or four world hunts. They still got that third place bug, you know what I mean? Everybody said I just <laughs> trying to get over that hurdle. It's uh you know, been tough and uh, we I kinda of branched out, got into a little bit of the bird dog breedings, you know, uh, got some a female from Keith Sutton and you know, we Mr. Joey trained her for us. So. We sold her and then I said I had the gun smoke spade dog. Um, I've had him campaign him for a couple of years, not not very many hunts. You know, we uh, I won a Mississippi State hunt with him. He's about 17 months old. We purchased him from Rod Hardy as a pup. And uh, Mr. Joey, like I say, he Mr. Joey Dennison, he's done all the all the training, you know, pretty much on everything I've got, other than a couple of pups that I've got now this past season. Some guys blessed me with and, and sent me. And then the dog, you know, me and Mr. Marty Murray's always, uh obx outlaws joker he's out of the outlaw dog that claude vaughn owns that there's no outlaw in the squirrel dog world you know he's a big hard going dog and uh he's off a female named ways a Hummer female that uh i think mr kenny gray and merle seeley may own her together now i'm not sure but she's been reproducing some some super nice dogs you got joker like say sammy and then i got an older dog, a uh, high-speed Tarzan. Uh, he's real heavy streak bred. Um, he's one of the first dogs we got from Joey Dennis. And me and my dad, we went up and purchased him and um, kind of got our feet wet, you know. But like I say, this past season, I've been blessed. I had uh, uh, Mr. Randy Stevens. He gave me a pup off of one bad bird and a, and a woody female. And then, like I say, I got a female from Shane Mason off of Gunsmoke basically in a one bad bud female then i got a uh young female that's really turning on doing outstanding she's off of uh wade hildebrand's messiah dog that he's been really successful with and the uh <clears throat> china girl female she originally came from travis brewer i think he campaigned her and then uh i think anthony morris and those guys out in louisiana texas area wound up with her and uh, I actually I just seen the other day that Stephen Comer uh, has her now in Indiana. I think that's probably where she'll reside. I know he's hunted her in some hunts and been pretty successful with her. So I got a got a stable full. Uh, Looks I got a.
0: That's what I was getting ready to say. It sounds like you're busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, me and my dad. We kind of joke it, uh, it's really excessive, you know. But you know, like I told you guys before, I don't. I don't have anybody to hunt with where I, where I hunt. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> primarily me, which that's a blessing and a curse. Uh, mm-hmm. Colt Perryman, he, he squirrel hunts, coon hunts, been real successful. He he uh, actually won the king and queen hunt last year at the USDC World uh, with the spring female. Kind of funny, actually. Spring, she was a, her mama was a, a coon dog that I had, and I sold to Rod Hardy, and Rod made a cross, spread to the Festus dog. Mm-hmm. Purdue spring and uh several other nice females but it was kind of kind of neat like I say she won that she was off of an old coon dog female I had but uh got Colt and Joey Dennison. They're, they're the only ones you know close by me which that's a kind of a blessing and a curse you know we got places to hunt and, but uh just ain't very many people to hunt with work your dogs so I've kind of forced myself to keep more dogs to you know, to be able to hunt, make them hold pressure, you know, do different, you know, hunt scenarios. Like this evening, I kept letting the dog get treated and sending Joker toward that dog, you know what I mean? Being sure he didn't want to hang around and do stuff he wasn't supposed to do.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. You know, just things we have to do.
0: Do you pleasure hunt any? Or do you ever go out and pleasure oh, yeah. hunt shoot
1: squirrels? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's kind of funny, but I always tell everybody I've never been on a pleasure hunt. Cause, uh, if I go squirrel hunting I'm I'm looking to work on me or, or my dog but yes me and, me and my dad and friends and actually my wife she goes with me and we we do shoot squirrels out through the dog but we don't kill tailgate fools and uh, number one because of our timber and our foliage and the type of trees we have we lose probably 50-60 percent of our squirrels to holes and mm-hmm. big giant trees stuff like that you know but and there again you know, I, I posted on facebook the other night i got the messiah's hope female i got from wade and them uh, she treated three squirrels the other evening and like i say i've got into her got her leashed, and squirrels turning off just got in some bad areas and i wasn't able to get them shot out and you know guys said what do you mean you wasn't able to get them shot out correctly and um you know, and all this I learned, you know, what I mean, from other people, from Joey Dennison. you know, primarily. I, it would take forever to tell everything, I mean, you know, when I got started, I couldn't even, couldn't even find a squirrel.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, you know, I walk up to the tree, I'm looking for something on a limb like one at a park on a picnic table.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, but Joey, he sold us the high-speed Tarzan dog, and I messaged him back, told him the dog was slip-treeing. I said, hey, the dog ain't having no squirrels, you know, made nine, ten trees this evening, I ain't seen a squirrel, and he said, well, bring him back, and we'll go, and anyway, we took him down to the management area by Joey's house, and he killed nine in a row to him that I'd never seen, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so he said, well, we got some work to do on you, if you're talking about you're going to be a competition squirrel hunter, you know, and, uh, I'm standing over every old man with tears in my eyes. I'm so mad I couldn't couldn't <laughs> find a squirrel and he'd walk up so I see the squirrel, when you find him, shoot him out, you know what I mean? And I'd sit over grip my teeth and wanting to <laughs> jump in the river. I was so mad, you know, and he but over time, you know what I mean, and um, you know, you learn that stuff, you know. i, I, I started out coon hunting in nineteen ninety four, me and my dad and uh you know when I, Joey said, You know when I walk up there, I'm looking up. I'm like, I don't see nothing. He said, "You're looking for a coon, not a squirrel." And you start looking for their ears, and I'm like, "You ought to be business to see the squirrel." He said, "Not always." Yeah. You know, so it's uh, definitely you know come a long ways. But yeah, I do do pleasure hunt. I Like to shoot squirrels, but like say it's uh, I've had folks tell me, you know, I man, you take this stuff too serious. You know, we're just out here pleasure hunting. And I, I, I told a guy well couple of years ago and uh, you know i didn't really mean nothing by it, but i said i've never been on one i said what i let go on out here today you know just letting a dog leave a tree or letting a dog run off or just taking control of the situation and correcting or training on it could cost me twelve fifteen thousand dollars up the yeah. road a pickup truck There, there's levels in it you know yeah. what i mean and my dad he uh bless his heart he he was going to retire from the paper mill and he said uh you know, maybe we can get a squirrel dog, you know, I like getting old squirrel dog to plank around with, and we always had, you know, coon dogs and that I competed with, you know, so naturally, I, I said, well, I'll find us one, and I was working in Nashville at the time at the Country Music Convention Center, I'm a union electrician, so I always kept my hunting gear with me, and I started messaging people on Facebook and setting up and going hunting with people, looking for a squirrel dog, you know, you know. Hunted with some decent dogs, and uh but I had met Joey Dennison when I was a young man, 16 17 years old. You know, folks told me if you want to get squirrel dog, that's the man to get one from. You know, it'll stay tree it'll do this, it'll do that. And uh when I met Joey, it was at a coon hunt and you know, like a squirrel hunt combination type thing. I talked to him. You know, went up, and introduced myself. Cause like I told you, my dad said, you know, hey talk to somebody that's a winner, that's successful, or somebody can give you excuses, and then Mr. Joey, he told me, you know, he said, it's, I had a coon dog there, and we had done some winning with her, and you know, she asked me what I wanted for the dog, and I said, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to sell her, you know, that's back when Rat Attack was really doing good, and we, she was directly off of Rat Attack, she was off a real good cross, and so we was pretty successful with her, and I said, we don't want to sell this dog. If we do, it'd be for a bunch of money. And he said, that's how I feel about my squirrel dogs, you know. <laughs> yep. He said, there's differences in, you know, dogs you can go and plink around with and then dogs that are, are trained correctly. And um, so he told me, you know, we didn't, I didn't buy a dog there and he didn't buy mine. And then years later, like I say, when I'm, uh, I guess it was in 2014, maybe beginning of the Me and him have been messaging. I've seen his name on Facebook, and I remembered him, and I uh, reached out to him, and he said, "Yeah, when you come home, I remember who you are, and you're the boy with the Walker dog." And uh, I went down and went hunting with him, and it was uh, changed my life. You know what I mean? Um, Mr. Joe, he's like my second dad, and uh, he took a lot of time with me. And I guess about every other weekend for the next year. you know, I was at his house pastoring him about a squirrel dog and what I need to do here and there and learning and just trying to grasp and learn everything I can from it, you know.
0: Yeah, and you hit on so, something yeah, he, there a while ago that uh, we, we hit on this every episode. Like you said, you know, when you go, you're constantly working on something, either yourself or your dog. Yeah. I, I believe you see that more and more now, uh, no matter <laughs> what kind of hunting you do. And I think, uh, obviously, you know, you have so many people out here that are looking for that advice and way they can, you know, make their dog better. You know, that's one reason we're doing this to get to people, talk to people like you and and get this advice. But, you know, I I think a lot of people are starting to do that now when they take their dog to the woods, you know, even though you are pleasure hunting, this advice they're getting is, is, you know, you're building a better dog every time you go.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I think, you know, cheering, you know, the breeding and the, I mean, no doubt about it, the competition and the money and it's, the competitiveness, you know, everything has went to a higher level, you know, with the coon hunt now and, and everything is, you know, it's just astronomical and unbelievable to where it's went to. And it's, it's great for the sports, you know, but I went back and talked to older guys, you know, like I said, Mr. Keith Sutton, over with the bird dog crosses on, you know, people that Joey, or, I mean, people that's really, you know, they've been doing it a long, long time. And, and, you know, the squirrel dogs used to, I mean, when they tree, you know, a lot of them. I don't know what all's been covered on other podcasts, but you know, those you know, a lot of them wouldn't stay treed, and a mm-hmm. lot of them, you know, they were the different events, you know. I mean, people say, you know, there'd be, you know, a lot of numbers of dogs there, but there just wasn't a quality. You know, I, Greg Maynard and a lot of people that won world hunts have been very successful. You know, they told me, you know, you could pull up at a hunt, you could just about name the top five dogs that was gonna be in the finals at every hunt.
0: You hear that all the
2: time. We we hear that a
1: lot, yeah. Now, you know, just to touch on it, like last year when I was at the USDC World Hunt, you know, and Kinetic Dog Food, they came down and, you know, made a little TV program and all that stuff. And I told the guy, Carl, that was making the video, and I said, you see all these dogs? And he said, yeah. And I said, any dog on this grounds today is capable of winning this whole event. Right. People aren't paying, you know, $500,000 entry fees and... You know, driving 14 hours one way—that's um, mm-hmm. what it takes me. You know, to get there come down to Mount Orb, Ohio. Um, they're not driving that far and and doing all that. thinking, you, know, hoping they will not You know, people nowadays when they show up, they're they're bringing a dog, and like I said the quality is—you uh, know—the breeding change naturally now. You know, with the hound influence, something I'll touch on, and it's Joey Dennis, and like I say he does a lot of a lot of training with the. With training collar, you know what I mean. As far as making dogs stay tree, um, mm-hmm. different training practices, and other folks do it with uh, breeding. You know what I mean. They breed the uh, tree dog to tree dog to tree. You know what I mean. And mm-hmm. these dogs now, when you turn loose, they're gonna they're gonna go out there and get tree. You know what folks have learned that you know, my, well, just making trees ain't working because you draw really on a squirrel dog, and this dog can make ten trees over here. That's fine, but if this dog trees one squirrel, it's going to advance. It's hard to get that happy medium.
0: Well, as we, while while we're on that, we we actually had a little question here. You were talking about bird dog crosses. Uh, could you, could you tell us and the listeners, you know, uh, about why uh, the bird dogs have been? You know, I think it's uh, I think they try to keep it a small percentage on some of these. But could you could you, could you give us a heads up on what the uh, bird dog cross is for?
1: like i said i'm not no definitely not an expert on it or nothing and i I was always i always wanted something different you know it didn't matter even you know when i was coming Hunting, you know the the craziest looking dog one with a white face or you know a blue tick that looked like a walker or whatever i've always wanted to be not different for a bad reason but i just always liked something that you know just stood out something that was a little different and um Heard about Mr. Keith Suttmiller, and like I say I met him at the NSD World Hunt, and me and him got to talk. And he went out and got some magazines and showed me, you know, about he's winning hunts before I was born. And uh, naturally, that should always get your attention. Um, somebody that's successful, just know that he hunt, he was a really good hunter, hunter different style dog, and um, they're not, you know, they're not for everybody, and for the most part, they're not, uh, they're not dominant winners you know people breed them you know they breed to, for the foot speed you know naturally for the wind and ability for the nose you know they bring all that but with that comes not staying treated and it's a um you know it's a vice it's a, it's a bad thing because you know i'm i like them they're beautiful they're fast and i'll say i have some out there with the bird dog influence on in them now and it's um I guess you could say it's a lot easier to hunt a Walker dog that'll just go out and climb upon a tree and tree and stay. You ain't got to worry about it, and you know the bird dogs. Naturally, they're going to be more accurate because they're went, you know, they're running, they're cutting. It's just, you know, and it's been covered before. You know, they're they got happy feet. You know, what I mean, they they uh you know a lot of them won't stay tree. You know, what I mean, a lot of them you have to really really do a a lot of work on them, and even then it's and the breeding and you know Mr. Keith told me he said uh, you know he he won the UTV hunt at the Nationals um in NSD with the Joy Dog he told me you know sitting there he said there's just gonna be a bird dog craze he said and you watch sure enough I just kind of watched on Facebook and grinned, and you know a lot of squirrel hunters a lot of comp hunters a lot of different people they were going to the pound they were getting pointer females they were getting um <laughs> You know, they were just getting any pointer they could get and breeding to a car or to this and to that. And, and Keith told me, you know, he said, that oh, it don't work that way, you know. He said, you know, you've got to... His dogs have always had some tree and influence in them. Now, they were, had a lot of bird dog also, but even he told me that, you know, some of the full pointers they had when he was younger and all that, you know, back in his story, would also tree squirrels. The, the Maasai dog that... Uh, you know, Rod Hardy bred and produced him off a full pointer female and a, a rat attack male dog. Um, Rod, he's got a, uh, you know, I guess you to say he's got his soup, right? Because he's been making a lot of crosses and they've been very successful. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's a percentage they say, you know, you got to get it just, get it just right. If you get too much bird dog, they're not going to stay true, and you can't depend on them. And it's, uh, it is what it is. You know, there's no. I've asked several people, you know, why don't you hunt them? They won't stay tree. You know, you can't depend on them. When you tree them through yonder, you got to know that they're going to be there. And, you know, naturally, in these squirrel hunts, you don't, you're not taking no minus for not having a squirrel. The only way you take a minus in a squirrel hunt is pretty much if your dog leaves the trees and you'll be surprised. I mean, just <laughs> get on the USDC page or, you know, you get on the NSD and you go down through there and you look at the squirrel cards and how many dogs treat several squirrels and mm-hmm. then later on in the cast lose it. Yeah, you know man. what I mean? They, they they leave two trees and a dog that's made five circle trees over here wins the hunt.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We yeah. hit on that too. And I said yeah. every episode is, and I think a lot of people have that misconception. I think we talked a little bit at the last podcast that these, uh, these competition dogs are just perfect, you know, and
1: no, they don't no, make mistakes.
0: But I think that's a misconception.
1: Yeah, and that's the reason that you see so much training. You see so much, you know. Like I say, folks do, you know, a lot, a lot of training. And then I'm going to be honest with you. It's you see a lot of folks that they've corrected the issues and uh, a lot of their problems with breeding. In my mind, and my just that's the way to go. You know what I mean? It's uh, <laughs> you know, I got several mine trees in there. Um, I don't have to leave the cast and run over there and leash it, you know what I mean, and worry about running my squirrel off or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of dogs out there, uh, you know, Mr. Tom Smith, uh, you know, he hunts the Cleo dog, English-looking female, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Tom Smith, he's a great guy, great friend of mine. He, like he said, you know, when he, when the line of dogs that he's breeding up and stuff, when they get treated in there, you, you ain't worried about them going nowhere. You know, the difference, you know, a lot of people don't want to walk a thousand yards to one, but mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want to have to walk a thousand yards, but I want mine to be willing to go that far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If it's not, you know, squirrels ain't moving, <laughs> but well, you, you just brought up something that we typically ask, um, or bring up every episode too. Now, do you lease your dogs to the tree when they make a tree?
1: I lease my competition dogs whichever thing i got i'm pretty much hunting the hunt mm-hmm. you know when i'm once they get to that you know yeah when i'm going in especially if i'm going to you know shoot squirrels and, and do stuff like that now if i'm walking into them and i got several dogs out and um you know if i'm in a, pretty much in a training type mode i'm not going to leash them because i want to see what they're going to do under pressure yeah difference in like a lot of the The ones I have are Mr. Joey Dennison's train, and we we work on them with a collar. They kind of got a steering wheel on them. If one of mine gets off a tree and decides it's going to go check on another dog or they're going to move a little bit or whatever, I I can make them hold tight there, like I say, with the training collar because they've been educated in that manner from the time they were younger. Now, there is a lot of folks, and it's uh, severely frowned upon. You know, I've, I've caught a lot of ridicule about that. You know, I mean, there's folks say you know you shouldn't have to shock a dog to make it stay tree, and you shouldn't have to correct on one, and I, I agree to a certain extent. My Mister Joey, he taught me. He says, you know, if you just let a dog be, what we somewhat call natural, if you never correct them at the tree, if you never correct any you of know, their faults, if you never, and, and you're walking to a dog in his tree at five hundred yards, and you've never done anything to that dog and everything it's done has been what it wanted to do and that dog just decides it's going to walk off that tree and leave there's absolutely nothing in this world you can do about it the difference and from the time we start on when they're younger and everything else if we get into a tree and they're off the tree or they're doing something that they need corrected on they've been taught at a young age stimulation means correction and you can make a correction there. Just as if you would call one to you in the yard or in the ballpark and make him come and you call him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we make them stay treat. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, right.
1: You know, now that's um, a lot of folks, you know, they, uh, well, you ought not have to do that. They should want to stay treat, I agree. But they're, <laughs> yeah. we're humans and they're dogs.
2: Yeah. That's
1: the reason you see minus points on the scorecard. And, um, you know, we make mistakes as well, you know, so it's not, um, the not staying treed and the minus points and the not, you know, and squirrels midday and all that stuff, um, um, guys have corrected with breeding. They, they have bred in, go hunting, they bred in tree power, and that's what the dogs needed. And oh, I'm yeah. constantly try, trying to get better animals, better, you know, so, so you don't have to do so much training. You can do more hunting per se, whatever, yeah. you know, but like I say, certain types of dogs, it's, you know, they, they require more, you know, oh. naturally a dog with more hound influence, it goes in there and gets treed, it's gonna, gonna treat better, it's gonna stay tighter, it's gonna, and folks have learned, hey, I'm going to hunt for $30,000 at the Joey posting Invitation on norm Island hunt, they're gonna haul something that they know it's gonna stay tree, and they ain't gotta worry about leaving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like you say, the training, <clears throat> if it's not staying on the tree or something, that can make a difference between a average squirrel dog and a great squirrel dog. That dog may have every other good ability about it. and may be great at it, but if it's not going to stay treed, you're wasting your time.
1: It does, and, and you know, like I say, it's the training with the collar is uh, – you know, Mr. Joey, I've you know, I've sat in crowds and explained it and I've had guys shake their head and get up and walk off and so, man there ain't no way I'm going through all that and this and that. But mm-hmm. the difference in him is he is a dog trainer. He yeah. he trains every dog in the litter. Whereas most guys and most people and it's a proven fact, I've watched it, I've seen it and I have been guilty of it myself. He said, if you watch most comp hunters or most people, on an average, they, they typically hunt one type of dog. You know, if they're, you know, you'll see most current hunters, most of them hauling an the 80-pound male dog
2: mm-hmm.
1: on average. You know what I mean? They're, they're hunting something they can beat, shot, kick, make it, get in yonder, do what they, you know, something that can take correction, something, you know. And he told me, you know, you would look at a litter of 10- original mountain cur pups there and he would take each one of those pups out of that litter and train them all which he has the facility he has the time he has the knowledge and and how to do that Uh, you know each one of those pups and each one of those dogs are an individual and like he said this one over here and he may point at a little brindle female i'm not going to be able to do her like this one maybe this one's a little more rambunctious a little more and so that's what separates a lot of the dogs As he could kick out and figure out what each dog needed and, and folks would come from all over the country and they come and buy them under the tree, under mm-hmm. squirrels with their, with their feet on the tree, you know, yeah. and he didn't train two, he would train the whole litter and he would train several, several, several litters a year and people would come and buy them under the tree, stay in tree, you know, and that's... But he was able to pick out what each individual dog needed, and maybe this one's too loose on the tree. I'll tighten it up, you know. I'm, mm-hmm. um, And once you ever get one trained that way that you can make corrections on that when you walk in, you're not worried about it. And, you know, when one of mine barks, you know, I'm going to say for 90% of it, I, I never really question whether they're going to stay treed or not.
0: That's a good feeling.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's me and my dad joke around and he said, man, I just don't know if I could go with a, not so much as a sorry dog, but just not a dog that's trained in the manner that we're used to. Because if, you know, if I walk in and the dog's <clears throat> got his nose on the ground or if he's doing this or that, I can, I can tighten him up. Or if one of mine quits barking in there, I can make him bark. You know, I mm-hmm. can show the train it, it's just another step, you know what I mean? just makes them a little bit more enjoyable. And mm-hmm.
0: When you're tightening <clears throat> the dog up. And I do want to say this. Like I said, I think I have mentioned this, but I spent a fair amount of time as a canine officer before I retired. But one thing on correction that I learned from that is canine dogs, especially correcting with the collar, uh, they would emphasize it's all about your timing. If that dog has made a mistake, you've got to catch it when that dog is making that mistake and not just get mad and, 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 you know, just start. Because the dog needs to know what it's done wrong. You know, I guess – that timing is everything with that, but uh, it, we, when you're tightening up a dog, let's say you've got a dog that's loose on the tree, what's your process, whether it's with the collar or however, how are you tightening that dog up to the tree?
1: Well, here, and I'll say ours because they, everything I've got has come from him, and I'm just kind of, I guess you could say a protege or trying to learn, which there's people all over the country. Is actually, you know, they, they do it now. They use the collar on the dog and you know he, he's told me you know there's I told him years ago you know I' be I said uh, man you should make a video or you should make a a programme or you know a, a learning and he said Dave he said I'll be honest he said a lot of folks they're not willing to go through the steps in the process and there's the things that people do they cut you know shortcuts and I was like he we I mean, there is no monopoly on it. I mean, this ain't the only way. Like say, yeah. Uh, Mr. Paul Beam over in Mississippi, um, he, you know, he learned stuff from Joey. He does that. There's a lot of guys, you know, they use a collar with their doll, But, you know, the main thing Joey told me is they got to, you know, they got to understand the collar. And I've had folks tell me, you know, they, I had one guy and I just, you know, I can tell the story. He you know, called me and we talked. And he said, well, I don't believe you got to do all that. And I said, well, Joey told me you got to follow the steps because if you, you know, you just go out there and put a collar on your dog. And, well, this guy, he didn't listen. And he he had a little fast dog that was running around and all that, and he put a collar on him and he'd heard Joey and watched some videos and all that. And he hollered, get on the tree and mash the button. Well, that dog didn't know what get on the tree means. and Yeah, yeah. Earlier, that's what I was going to tell you. You know, when I when I went to Joey Dennison's house, when I got on his buggy, he said, "Dave, people train retrievers to retrieve. You know, canine dogs to search for drugs and you know, apprehend suspects." And he said, "Uh, you know, I train squirrel dogs. I make mine get on the tree." And he said, "Have you ever been? You ever been coon hunting? And I, you walk through the woods and you know, and you." get in there, and then you tell your dog, get on the tree. And I'd be willing to bet about everybody that's been hunted or had some type of tree dog has done that. Oh, yeah. And I'm riding along there, and I looked over at him, and he looked at me, and he said, do you really think that dog knows and understands what you just said? And a light kind of came on my head, and I knew then I wasn't dealing with your average dog trainer. <laughs> yeah. And he said, mine knows what get on the tree means. You know, from the time they're pups. Mm-hmm. You know, he would feed them up on the tree and get up on the tree. It don't affect them, I've, you know, and it's it's kind of funny because you go through the process of learning. And I'm like, man, well, he's just teaching these dogs a slick tree. Any dog in my in my kennel right now, I can walk out there and turn them loose, go over and tell them to get on the tree, and they'll get up on the tree. There ain't no squirrel up there. There ain't no scent up there. They're just doing it because I told them, just like you tell one to come here, or just like you tell them that— Telling them to get on that tree and them obeying and listening to you helps you down the road when you tell them to get on the tree and they don't and you implement and bring the collar in. If they don't understand that stimulation, you know, it's like just shock the one in a field out there and him not knowing what come means. There is no, there's no difference. You know, they've got to understand stimulation means get on the tree or stimulation means come or, and so there's ways, you know what I mean? Like I said, we you know, tie them to the tree, encourage them to bark. You know, there's things that we, we do. You know, I actually got a, got a pulley system, and I'll hook them on about a fifty foot rope. You know what I mean? And I tell them get on the tree, and I'll get them to where they're leaving my side, going and getting on the tree. There's nothing to do with squirrel hunting. It's all about the dog obeying your command, getting on that tree, and you're pre- preparing them for the collar. Yes, and then. And then, later on, once I get them leaving my side, going and getting on that tree, giving mouth, there ain't nothing up there in the world. They're just treeing and barking to bark. And I asked Joey, I said, how do you get them to bark? How do you, you know, because initially we take them and tie them up there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We take them and tie them up just like, just like they're treeing up, just like those trees, the squirrel. Mm-hmm. That sounds- I said, well, why are they barking? Yeah. They bark because they want to get out.
0: Yeah. And I know with my dog, lady, I mean, that's one thing I learned is is how to teach a dog. Horse right, we can't speak. Yeah, to speak. And so even with my Fice right. dog, I taught him mm-hmm. early on when I got him. I, you know, you got to work that frustration. So I, I had him tied back, but of course I had right, you know, right. I had something he wanted, which was his oh, yeah. his treats. And, and and of course I would teach him to you know when he would bark, I would reward him.
1: And, I do the same thing. Yeah. These pups I got out here, I. Just barking for food, wanting food, you know, I'd go over to the tree. I'd make them get up on the tree, and I'd feed them, and every evening, i get them out at the same time, do the same routine, get them barking, get them barking. Eventually, you know what I mean? I'll go over, and I'll I just slowly implement the leash with them, just slowly, you know what I mean? And I'll get them, and I'll just take them and go over and tie them up. And all of mine will bark on command. Like I say, I teach them to speak
2: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so once they... You speak now, you tied up on the tree, you're speaking. I'm giving you treats. And see, as people listen to this, a lot of folks will say, Man, there ain't no way I'm doing all that. And there ain't no way, you know. I mean, I've had people tell me, Man, you ought not have to do all that to tree a squirrel. And you don't, you don't. And Joey loves that. He's so much more advanced and he knows when to do this, when to not do that. You know, he, he don't, he don't use any food or any anything like that, you know, as far as Mm -hmm. getting them to bark. He uses pressure and release. He ties them up. You're standing off to the side. Like, I got a little fire sight train. I took her and tied her up, which I had taught her to speak, and I tell her to speak. And every time she barked, I would take a step toward her. Mm -hmm. Every time she barked, I would take a step toward her. So what they learn is, okay, hey, I've gone in here. I've treed. I'm giving miles. I'm barking. Mm -hmm. I can't get down, and I can't get down until he comes and gets me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and every time they bark I take a step toward them I take a step toward them I take a step toward them so they learn hey I come in here and tree the more mouth I give the harder I bark the faster I bark the harder I tree the faster he's coming you yeah. know they learn hey you know we tie them up and then like say I even use the pulley you know what I mean I tell them to get on the tree well naturally, now they're going from being tied up to 20 feet back or what, you know whatever you want to do and most of them won't just leave your side and go and get up on the tree. You know, mm-hmm. they, you kind of pull them and guide them, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they've, they've already been worked on that tree. And it's, it's a slow process. Like I said, a lot of folks do it differently.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: These dogs I got now, these I've I've kind of worked them a little bit, but I'm kind of also letting them be, I'm not going to say a little more natural, but right now I'm not putting as much. Tree training on them. I'm just when they try squirrel, I'm going in there tying them and just, you know, just being sure they stay
0: tree. Oh, yeah. You know,
1: and
0: with feist dogs, to me, that's been part of an issue. And I've heard that mentioned yeah. before is they don't, you know, they're not super barky on the tree in, in general. I know there's some dogs that are. I mean, there's probably feist dogs out there that are over a hundred bark a minute, you know, on the tree. But that's the main reason I told my you know, I taught mine to, to bark on command because you speak to him, I'd say that, you know, and then I would reward right. him. So now when we're in the woods and I'm saying that, he's he's doing that. But over time, you know, you, you could lay off of that a little bit, but he, he, he gets the game.
1: And I didn't realize, you know, that you know, like Joey, he taught me that he said most pleasure hunters you go with he said when you get within sight of their dog he said, most dogs will quit treeing and they'll turn around, and they're looking at the people coming in with the guns.
2: Yep.
1: Well, so we don't we don't play that game. We don't. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> once we get them treed, and once they're going in, and they're treeing on their own, and, and we've got them staying treed and stuff, we don't walk unless they're giving mouth. Okay. So we're walking into that tree, and that dog hushes, and you guys try, it and you'll see it works. Mm-hmm. When that dog hushes, you – Joey says, I'm not participating if they don't. So well, he like stops. It. He stands there. I well like that it. dog's gonna bark. He'll bark or either he'll leave the tree and come to you, which he should not do. And mm-hmm. so therefore <laughs> then it the squirrel hunt's over and then we're training again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. you see how that that works, but mm-hmm. like in all this I'm giving credit to him. He's taught me like I said, this is not me being a know it all, this isn't just me trying to help the listeners, you know. Yeah. That's, that dog's going to hush, you know, and if, as long as you continue to walk into him and he's hushed, you're training him, hey, when he gets close enough, I can just quit barking and do what I want to do. Yeah. If you'll stop and make that dog stay tree and make him give mouth, and every time he barks, you take a step. Now, it may take you 15 minutes to get to one tree. That's yes. part of dog training. Yeah. If you would have done it since the beginning, you wouldn't be there now. Yep. <laughs> and that's what what I have to learn, and, you know, there's a a process. But, you know, a lot of folks, they're not interested in all that. They don't care if they bark a hundred barks a minute or five. They just want to go in there and shoot a squirrel Well, To me, me squirrel hunting is all about the dog's performance. That squirrel is nothing but the football and the football game.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: He's just the device and the animal that they're pursuing. But to me, when it's it's all about the performance of the dog. So, you know, we, we make them bark. We time, and once we shoot that squirrel down, we don't let the dog leave the tree and run out and get the squirrel. We kill that squirrel now. I, I had a bad scenario the other day and things happen, you know, at, at different times, but training correctly, you tie that dog, you kill that squirrel, you bring that squirrel back, that dog should continue to give mouth. That dog should stay treed. Mm. We may give the dog the squirrel. 99% of the people, that hunt's over, that tree's over. Well, it's not over with us because when we put that squirrel in the vest, that dog has to continue and get back on the tree and bark. Oh, yeah. Because if you can make them continue and stay treed after you take the squirrel and you put the squirrel up, then you make them stay treed long. And basically, the dog is hunting and operating off of you. He's not doing what he's wanting to do because I've seen some guys, when you walk into their dog, the dog shuts up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking for the squirrel, the dog ain't never made another peep. You shoot the squirrel, the dog gets it. I mean, it's just, you know, the dog, he's kind of like running the hunt, you know. And yeah. There again, it, you don't have to do all of that. It's just stuff that he's implemented into me, and he's taught me that, keeps the dog tree tighter and giving mouth, you know, especially if you're wanting something that's going to bark and that you can compete with, you
0: know? Yeah. I can see that you're just reinforcing, you know, that's just reinforcing him to stay treed Mm -hmm. to stay until, until you say, Hey, okay, it's, it's time to go. Yeah. I can see that, but we, we have a, we're feist dog people, obviously, but can you touch a little bit on your, you mentioned the feist dog. Can you touch just briefly on that?
1: Yeah. I got a, uh, I started out actually, got a, uh, A little ponytail feist when me and my wife got married, and uh, actually, I'll just kind of tell the story. A lot of folks know, but um, we got bought a little feist dog, and uh, I wanted to go to feist days. I've always liked feist dogs. That's that's just I like them. They're smaller. They're squirrel dogs. I've always you know liked them, and uh, they had the uh, first ever mountain feist days, and I think it was in Corbin, Kentucky, actually. gentleman i think he took uh, a river and all uh, a in may um there was a lot of guys up there anyway had the mountain Feast days but anyway the long story short me and my wife we went up she wanted to go we had a, a little feast i got she was pouring out bread and then i actually got a little uh, black and tan atomic Feast. um and anyway long story short we went up the mountain Feast day and we had it set up and we got married at the squirrel
0: hunt.
1: That's no great. Kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we uh got our marriage license there in Labor May. He uh like I said, he was able to marry us, and uh, I actually showed the little Cornell Fies in the bench show and got a best of show with her. Got a little plaque and all that. So it's uh, that's
2: awesome.
1: Something we can always remember. And uh, everybody said they know she's a good woman if she went off with you and got married at a squirrel hunt.
2: <laughs> that's,
1: that's a very good yes. point. You got a keeper her. So, uh, <laughs> you definitely got a keeper yeah. I thought everybody did that, and I found out they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good.
0: <laughs> well, you've got uh, one thing. I want I want you to hit them uh, before we before we stop. You've got a uh, just an absolutely uh, wonderful story, a great testimony, and. I, I would love for you to touch on that if you can and, and let, you know, let people know a little bit about you. And, and I think I'd, like I said, I just think you've got a great story if you can, if you can hit on that.
1: Yeah. I, uh, like I say grew up hunting and all that. And then, uh, later on in life, I, you know, made some bad decisions, let my life kind of, kind of get out of line. You know, it's easy to do. I went to church at a young age and, told him my Bible in high school, you know, ministered to people in the halls, and I, I grew up, I did try to live a good life, a Christian life, best I could, and then later on in life, I had a had a failed marriage, just let my life get all messed up, and got in some trouble, and was looking at, uh, you know, getting two years probation, got way out there, started drinking, got, uh, you know, all messed up, even a backslid on God, just... Ever drank a beer. I was like 25 years old, you know, and I, I just got all messed up. And I was at a, uh, at a local bar, been drinking, and uh, left there. My dad had called me and said, you know, I need you to come home, work on some dog pens. And I came home and got halfway home, lost control of my truck, basically did a U-turn in the road is basically what happened. It had been raining all day and wasn't that I was that bad off. A guy hit me in the rear end in an S-10 pickup, almost killed the guy, um, crushed his pelvis, dislocated his hip, um, really maimed him up bad, and I was on probation for some other charges, and um, it was a, a you know a bad scene in life. They lifelighted me and him from the scene, and I lost half my right ear, and you know, had a bunch of staples, a bunch of stitches in my face, and... You know, come to the hospital, took my blood, and, uh, you know, could smell alcohol on me. And long story short, I am getting charged with a uh, DUI with serious bodily injury and a uh, violation of probation. You know, it was God dealing with me, and that's, you know, when you know better and you live right, and uh, He chastises those He loves, and He, state trooper, you know, he, they came to my house four weeks later, and they arrested me, like I said, for DUI. Yeah, I'm looking at, you know, my whole life, it had, you know, I'd been coon hunting, and I got where I wasn't even really hunting that much. I was, you know, out running the roads, not living right, and in the back of that cop car and state trooper, and he said, uh you're a lucky man, Mr. Sullivan, and, you know, I'm sitting there with my hands behind my back, and I looked at him, and I said, well, yeah, I guess so, you know, and I'm not in the best of mood and the best of mind frame, and he said, I worked direct, and he said, you know, you was hit, you know, approximately the guy hit you, running 68 miles an hour. And um, he went through, you know, the song and dance about the wreck. And I said, Yeah, I know. You. I'm the one with the scars. And uh, he said, Mr. Sullivan, do you know what was behind that S10 pickup? And I'm looking, you know, in his rear view mirror, and he's talking to me, Florida state trooper. And I said, No, sir. He said, There was a dump truck, and it was pulling a low boy trailer with a backhoe on it. He said, had he hit you, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And as we were pulling into the Nassau County Jail, they were taking me in to have me booked. He said, Mr. Sullivan, God's giving you a second chance. He said, uh, be thankful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I got booked in the county jail and, uh, naturally got a lawyer, fought my case, all that. And the state was recommending three years, three years in prison, five years uh, probation when I got out and, uh. Fault the case, you know, naturally. And the guy that I got in the wreck with, he came up and he wanted a rest wanted to pay restitution, um, for him being injured and, and some different stipulations and all. And mm-hmm. we agreed to that and um I'll be honest with you, say I'm a praying man, I'm a believer. I prayed and praise God. I don't wanna you know, I don't wanna go to prison. I ain't never done nothing to deserve to go to prison. I'm not a thug. I'm not an outlaw. You know, I just I made some bad decisions in yeah. life, but you know you know, like God had spoke to me and, you know, he said, would you go for one soul? Because, see, I'm, I'm all about soul winning and I'm about changing people's lives. And I, I ain't kidding you, being a grown man, I sat in a jail cell and I cried and I cried. And I never said nothing to my father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I went to court, and anyway, we had a sentence in hearing at 130 and we had a deal worked out. I was going to pay the man restitution, $10,000 up front, get out on probation and pay him the rest of the money. And when I got into the courtroom, like I say, having heard from the Lord, and I told my dad, I said, if I get anything more than a year in the county jail, I said, don't, don't give them no money, you know, whatever. And, um, the judge got the guy up on the stand and he says, you know, to what extent do you want Mr. Sullivan prosecuted and, uh. They have a law, it's called the victim's advocate law, if you hurt somebody due to your negligence, which to them I was negligent, I was under the influence of alcohol, and um, he abstained those injuries, and uh, they can basically decide your sentence and anything within the guidelines. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm just going to go with the state's recommendation, well, my lawyer and everybody, they went to having a fit, because he was the one that had come up with the recommendation for the restitution and all that, you know, and I... In my heart and in my soul, I just knew I said, well, God's got to do a, a different plan. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah.
1: And um, I didn't get a county sentence. They sentenced me to prison. The guy backed out on the deal and they gave me three years in prison and five years when I got out. But I was able to go and uh, went to prison. You know, I got sentenced and I, you know, it's kind of a quick story. I, Whenever a place called the West Union and it's the reception center and through prison, they send you to one camp, then another, and then you leave there and go to your main camp. And uh, there was a program that used to come on, I don't know if it's still there, but it's Touched by an Angel. I went into the chapel, you know, like I say, being a believer and, you know, backslid on God, not living right. And I'm like, man, I'm... <laughs> It it was like something off a horror movie. The whole time I went through reception and all, it was mist and rain and cloudy, and, you know, it was just a a whole doomsday deal, and, uh, Lord, I need some help, and I went into that chapel, and, anyway, they were playing this movie, Touched by an Angel, and basically, uh, you know, the angel stops by and tells this guy, hey, need to borrow your son. We're going to move some furniture and everything, and the kid goes with him, and the kid ends up getting shot up, in a drive-by shooting and you know then this scene changes and the father says you know i don't understand he's talking to the angel you know you borrowed my son he's trying to help he gets injured and all and about the midst of the time he's talking you know to the angel on the program you hear this guy hollering down the hall and he says i know that voice you know the father and he leaves the scene and he goes down this hospital corridor and he goes In this room, and there's a gentleman, and he's fighting the nurses, and he's fighting, and he's pulling out his IVs, and he won't take his medicine, and he just let me die, let me die, let me die. And he walks in, and he says, it's just that easy, huh? And the guy in the bed turns and looks at him. Come to find out, those two had served in war together, and they were arch enemies. They hated each other. Throughout the movie, you learn that that guy's son had to get shot in order for him to be at that hospital, to hear that man, and later on that man actually gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ and took his medicine and he got saved. And they ended up turning the whole community around, those two guys. But it took that incident of that young boy being injured, and that's the way life is. You, mm-hmm. We all think that we're living for ourselves. We all think we're in control of this and that. And that's the way it was in my life. See, I... I went to prison and guys would ask me, you know, what are you here for? And I would tell them I'm here for you because (laughs)
2: Hmm.
1: I was a different person. I didn't, I wasn't a thug. I wasn't a criminal. I'd made two bad decisions. I was there on the DUI and I told everybody that, you know what I mean? Hmm. uh, And I was able, you know, guys are tearing the phones off the wall. They're getting bad letters. Guys are, you know, they're having a, a rough time. And, you know, I was able to lead a lot of people to the Lord, pray with a lot of people, you know, I was a different individual because God had, in a nutshell, He had pulled me out and stopped me at a point in my life where I wasn't going to stop. And He said, "Hey, I got to work for Him to do, and we're going to put His life on hold and and correct some things." Yeah. And God did that, and I I got out of prison. I did good. I went to church, and I'm. This is where the, you know, kind of where the rubber meets the road, and the I tell folks you know, I'm just going to interject this pretty quick. And, you know, I go now, you know, four times a month and, and preach uh, in the local jail where I was actually incarcerated and then another one in a town where I go to church at. But you have to be rooted and grounded and change your life and, and be serious about it. And you have to, to walk it and, and live it out. And see, when I got out of prison, I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't and I, I got out and I got with a bad crowd and I went to work because I had to go and I had to go and pay that money off because mm-hmm. I got in trouble and I had to pay, I had to pay $30,000, $600 a month for five years. When I got out of prison, I did good for a while. I like, so I went out there and I was traveling. Like I told you, I was working out of town, living in motel rooms and uh, I backslid and I started drinking again. And you know, it's a, it was in the bottle, you know, when you return to something and all, normally you're... The latter is normally worse than the former, you know what I mean you get you get worse and worse. I know this is kind of long, but it's going to help a lot of people but um, you know i got I got really bad off drinking um you can tell as passionate I am about my dogs and about hunting and um and about God I was that way in the world. I was the life of the party I was you know folks say hey man let's let's go out to dinner and have a beer. There was no such thing with me. One was too many and a thousand wasn't enough. I, if I went and I started drinking I would be there until they closed and asked me to leave. That's the addictive personality that I had and got to where my drinking it just got in excess and then I had a really really fine individual really um, introduced me to powder of cocaine and I found out then that I could really drink once I'd known me some cocaine. So I got to where I was drinking, doing powder cocaine, living in a motel room, still working. And, uh, you know, just basically living, living to maintain. My life got really, really bad, you know what I mean? And my family, I have a loving family, you know, my family trying to deal with me. And, you know, I would go in a motel room and there's the Gideon's Bible sitting on the counter. And the first thing I do is take it and put it in the drawer. And, you know, God would never quit dealing with me. I would be in a bar. I would be drinking in the middle of the night, you know, life of the party, and we're all just living it up. And it was just conviction would come over me, and God said, "You all right, man?" And I said, "No, I'm not all right." And I would leave, and God would deal with me, and I would be brokenhearted, and I'd go, and I'd you know, and I I don't remember exactly what month it was, but anyway, I was in Louisiana, and I'm I'm gonna just kind of move it along. But I was in Louisiana. I left the bar, and I got a another DUI. I got pulled over, and I was incarcerated. They locked me up, and I was so bad off. I laid there about three days, and they finally kept coming to me. So said, you know, you need to call home, or you need-. and I'm going to be honest with you, and you know with today's society and the way it is, and <laughs> I didn't even know a number oh, yeah. to call. I was so messed up in my mind, and I didn't have my phone, and my wife, me and her, we were dating at the time. We was on the phone, and I missed a turnaround. And I pulled, and I said, well, I ain't going to the next, and I'm just going to turn around in the median. And when I did, it had been raining all day, and I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I bogged my truck down in the median, got it stuck. Well, by the time I got locked in four-wheel drive and got out, I pulled up on the side of the road, and may have been, may not have been, not that I remember, but anyway, folks said I was driving in oncoming traffic, mm. and they called the law, and um, like I say, I was locked up but. You know how it is, there's always that one number that, that you remember. Yeah. And my father has had an unlisted phone number since before I was born. He's always kept that landline, and I'm going to be honest with you, That was the, the hardest thing I ever had to do was dial that number. And after all, I would put my family and my father through um, just to jump back really quick. But my dad, he got custody of me when I was 18 months old from my mother. She also had an alcohol problem and a drug problem, and um, he got custody of me. So everyone that knows me and knows me at the squirrel hunts, and they see me and my dad. Me and my dad are inseparable. We have a great relationship. He came and seen me every weekend that he could when I was close to home in prison, and I'd have to tell him, you know, don't come. Go go deer hunting. Enjoy yourself. I've caused you enough trouble, but... That was the hardest phone call I ever made, is I had to call my dad once again and and tell him that I got myself locked up and drinking and driving, all messed up. Got bonded out, my wife and uh able to get my truck. And God bless me, they didn't pound my truck. And the people they helped me, you know. Anyway, I had to get a lawyer, and I ended up going back to Louisiana. Cost me fifteen thousand to pay for all that. And my wife told me, "We're gonna see you through it. And I'm gonna stick with you, but you're gonna." You're going to pay for this, <laughs> oh, yeah. DUI, and I I worked and uh, paid for it, and, I, you know, when I came home, that was a, the hardest trip I ever had made in my life. I had to drive home, and, you know, I lost my job there. I'd been locked up for three days, and life just in disarray. God's been dealing with me. So I get home, you know, and still drinking, still, you know, she... You know you gotta you gotta cut back and like say with my addictive personality I'm okay I'll I only drink so much and you know just what working and and being raised in church and, and all I had I had went to a church um, that I attend now back in 2003 and I told her I said I'm gonna we're gonna get married and we're gonna try to go to church and she told her done told me if I didn't quit drinking straight my life up you know. She wasn't going to be able to deal with it. Nobody could, not the life that I lived and the type of person that I was. So I went to that church, and um, actually the pastor, he's an old guy. He used to have some bear dogs, and I knew him, and I told him I was going to come. They was in camp meeting, and I prayed, and I told God before I got there, I said, God, I'm going to go, and I'd like to change my life, and I uh, you know, want to be a better person. And during that church service, I prayed, and I said, God, if you'll deliver me, if you'll— Kill me and my heart, my mind. I just, you know, like I say, I was a severe alcoholic. I was strung out on powder cocaine. When I when I got delivered, I was doing about $700 a week right by myself. I stepped out in that aisle, and I prayed, and I said, God, I'm going to make my way to that altar, and when I get there, if you'll deliver me and you'll save my soul, I would at one time like to be able to go back to the jails, and, and I made that walk to that altar, and when I hit my knees, God, he met me there and that's the type of God we serve and he saved my soul um, rededicated my life to the Lord and uh, he delivered me then and there I've been clean and sober for nine years going on nine years I've never drank another big drop of alcohol never done any more drugs when I got up from there I was completely clean
2: praise the Lord that's awesome
1: You know, God delivered me and I made God a promise when I was in prison you know and I said if you'll help me and you'll you know (laughs) you know how it is you always want we will we want, we want. I'm like, you know, we make this easy. Let me get through this. I'd like to be able to come back and speak into these guys' lives and help people. And I had uh, been going, you know, I went to that church for maybe eight years, seven, eight years, and I guess it was maybe a year ago. I just kind of moved along with the story. But I was in church, and a guy came in, and he he does jail ministry. And he basically stood up and gave a praise report how God had saved a few guys in the county jail, and I'm here to tell you it was like God himself slapped me out of the pew.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got up and made my way to the altar and not really disrupted the service, but uh, I went down and, and got on my hands and knees and said, God, I'm sorry I made you a promise, and I immediately I got up and I talked to that guy, and I said, hey, man, i would like to go to jail, and uh, he said, yeah, man, I'd be glad to have you, and uh, last Sunday night I preached there. I, I, I actually... It's kind of funny. I call it my hometown jail. Actually, let's say I was there six months. And um, last Sunday night I preached, "Guys, come forth and give a heart and life to Jesus Christ." And that makes 130 men that's got up and left their seats. That you know that I've led to the Lord, and Holy it's been such a blessing. Man, but um, in a year, and it's no nothing on me, no glory on me. all glory belongs to the Lord. But I I have a naturally as you can see I have a way a way of communicating and those guys can they can relate to me because I tell them it's different if a you know if a preacher walks in there and he's telling them hey you're not living right you need to change but basically you know every time I open my mouth I'm telling them I've been there I've lived it I've ate soups I've traded for coffee I've (laughs) I've been where you at and God's delivered me and I tell them if you don't change in here what brought you in is outside the gate waiting on you. Yeah. Right. So, it's my last Sunday night. I, you know, I preached and one of my good, I mean, I, it's tough to say, I mean, you know, sometimes I get a little choked up, but it's, um, you know, I'm going into that. It's people that I grew up with, people I went to school with, and, and you know, that they go out on the rec yard and they call for church. You know, we're standing in there and when these guys come through the door, these are people that I went to high school with. They're people I played baseball with. They're people yeah. that, I knew from my hometown, you know, and uh got the other night. He said, I know God's real because Dave Sullivan was way worse than I've ever been. <laughs> 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 and, and I'm standing there in a shirt and tie, you know what I mean? And I, I preach to these guys and I, and I lead them to the Lord and I, you know, I, I tell them, you know what I mean? You, you gotta be real. Um, you know, when the judge deals with you, he's dealing with you one-on-one. When the Lord calls you, he's going to deal with you one-on-one. And, you know, I, I have different things that I, you know, I use and, and, and sayings. You know, so I tell them, you know, people say you, you can't lose your salvation. And, you know, there are people that have different beliefs. You know, I tell them, yeah. you know, if you couldn't, I said the the devil would still be in heaven.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah.
1: It shocks a lot of people, you know what I mean? So you can get separated from God. And it tells you in the Word. And that's what helps me is, you know, I'm able to tell guys, and, you know, and I raise my Bible, and, and I tell mm-hmm. them, y'all believe this. You believe this is the inspired Word of God moved on men by the Holy Ghost. And you believe it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody shakes their head. And naturally, you know, we believe the Bible. I said, okay. Well, it says, you know, to him that knows good and to do it not, to him it is sin. Mm-hmm. So if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin, and no man will enter into the gates of heaven with sin in his life, and then they all get a frown. I said, don't get mad at Dave. Y'all just said y'all believe this stuff, you know, and I have some fun with it, too, but, you know, when I, I tell you know, do you believe in divine intervention, or, you know, there, there's times that, you know, I tell them, I'm here for you. I didn't come for a pat on the back. I come to, to lead somebody here tonight, to Jesus Christ. I said, had the Lord come back 10 minutes ago when you was in your pod, would you have made heaven your home? And for the most part, most of those guys are not living right, you know, and they're, and they're hearing it from somebody that actually lived it. They're, you know what I mean? Somebody that's... And so that's what's able to, you know, been able to connect me to a lot of people. Like I say, there's no no glory on me. All glory belongs to God. But like the so last Sunday night, I was a 130 men, like I say, that stepped out and I tell them, you know, God said, if you be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. So... I make them get up and leave their seats and actually come forth if they want yeah. to be saved, and, and they do, you know what I mean, it's, uh, it's been a blessing, and then, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can let your life get out of line in with these dogs, and that's mm-hmm. what I, uh, <laughs> I told guy the other night that I preach at the jail with, I said, you know, it's, uh, I had a blue tick male dog one time, his name was Coon Buster, me and my dad bought him, and He'd won all the moaks, you know, big prestigious, all the moaks hunt, and coon hunt, and uh, we bought them, and we had shirts made, hats made, magnets on our trucks, you know, mean, we had a big stud dog banner, and people were coming and breeding to the dog, and we were selling pups, and we basically made an idol out of this dog. Yeah. And, uh, I tell her, by God, kill my dog, and they laugh, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, I'm just telling you, man, I said, you know, I got... I quit going to church because I'd be off at hunts for two or three days and we'd come home on Sunday and, you know, everything was about that dollar. I had full color page, uh, you know, ads running the book and it's, uh, everything's okay as long as you keep it within,
2: yeah,
1: you know, yeah. the right perspective, but yeah. it was very easy and it, it can be deer hunting. It can be coon hunting or, yeah. you know, uh, squirrel hunting with me. I have yeah. to really, um, but I told so you know, uh, God, you know, I love to hunt and this and that. I want you to help me use this for your glory also. I want to, so these podcasts, you know, I have, I've reached out to some folks, not that I want anybody to hear Dave Sullivan talk about dogs, but I want to be able to reach another sect and another group of people But i know a lot of hunters maybe they don't they might not darken the church doors you know what i mean uh, they might not get to hear you know what i mean that, hey there's a, there's a better way to live that there's um you know i did a podcast you know before and i had you know i probably had 200 messages of folks telling me you know what i mean you really touched my heart and soul and i need to straighten my act up and you know you would be surprised the well-known people mm-hmm. They're all over Facebook and they're all in the dog world. This message me and said, You know, your story really touched my heart and I yeah. got I let my boss know and listen to it and that's what this is about with me. I want to be able to, you know, minister to other people. I say at the squirrel hunts a lot of times, you know, you know, they'll ask me to say a prayer or that's that's good, you know. I hope people see me in that light. It's kind of kinda of comical. Last year we was up at the world hunting. I was helping some guys adjust their thermals you know, and everybody's got a thermal now and we're all, well, mine don't look like yours and what setting you got it on, you know, and before (laughs) I knew it, you know, that was, I counted, you know, and I don't know, that was 16, 17 guys, you know, and they had their thermals and we were out there and, well, what what kind you got, you know, and God said, now's your chance, you know, and I said, hey, guys, I know y'all gathered up here about these thermals and that guy said, he got us, boys. (laughs) 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 I said, if y'all don't mind, I just like y'all to. To take a minute and listen to you know what god's done in my life and i don't know what's going on in yours. so I, I you know i'm able to speak to folks and just let them know hey you know and i mean i'll be honest with you i've met up with people before the, before the squirrel hunts the day before and then be drinking and carrying on and i get to talking to them and you know i mean i've had guys just tear up and tell me all about their life and what they're going to and we're out there just cutting the squirrel all loose because i you know, that, you know, something about you, you're different, man, or, you know, maybe some of them did hear my podcast before, and, you know, that was a great story, I wish I could do that, or I wish I could, you know, and I'm able to, to you, you know, Jeff Island, that's kind of over the USDC, or the president, or running it, Jeff and his dad, you know, they're really great friends of mine, and, you know, Mr. Norm, he had passed away, but we, he would always get me in the restaurants, and, you know, we would go to dinner the night before the bigger hunts, and, you know, we'd be sitting at the table, and a lot of those guys, they, you know, they may be having a a drink with their meal or, or whatever, you know, in the conversation. <laughs> he would look at me and say, Hey, tell them your story. Sure messes up a lot of folks who are drinking.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I when I start in about how God's changed my life, but he would always have me to tell him, you know, by God, I want to hear it again, is what he yeah. would tell me, you know. And um, so that, it's, it's been a blessing, like I say, though to have a, a second chance, you know what I mean, to be able to, to straighten my life up, you know. Like Jason daughter, you know, the, the coon hunter has been so successful. Jason, he went to prison and was all messed up, and he's mm-hmm. changed his life. And God's been able to help me do that, you know, through these dogs, like I say. About, you know, my dad, he was on me earlier. I called and told him I hunted the dog and made some trees. And how many dogs you hunt? I said, three. So, well, you Everybody else is just hunting one. You're making a harder on yourself, and <laughs> you know, it, it keeps me busy. And you know, it uh, you know, I just want to keep my life in the right right perspective because it's easier to, to get messed up. And like I say, Mr. Joey Dennison. Um, Thanks and gratitude to him, Marty Mines. You know, Mr. Joey, he's a great trainer, but he don't care a thing about the hunts. And you know, when I would go out, he said, "Hey, if you <laughs> if you want to go show the world on Facebook that you've got a good squirrel dog, that's on you." So I. You know, I just had to pay my full ride. You know, and it's my location. Like I said, the closest hunt to me, like I told you before when we talked, is five hours, and nothing I can really prepare, train, or you know, the dogs. As far as the terrain difference, you know, down here we're alligators, mosquitoes, swamps, water. Um, you can go to Mount Orb, Ohio. It's, it's like my dog going to the Kansas Toto. You know what I mean? They're, yeah, you're not in Kansas um, anymore. Yeah. Guys, guys tell me, they're like, man, you, you're really behind the eight ball. You know what I mean? I'm the one that costs me about double because huh. of my location. You know, generally, if I go, I, I generally have to go a day or two before, drive halfway, get a room. You know, you got the expense on gas and all. Um, oh, yeah. And then, like I say, when you go up there, and, you know, it's uh. Ain't too bad if you win or you do pretty good, but it's sure a long ride home when you don't. You know. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's a—it's not, you know, what I do, it, it's not for everybody. Like I say, I it's all about the competitiveness of yeah. a dog, you know. Like I say, these dogs are basically our race cars, you know. Other people they have other hobbies, and you know how folks are. I mean, non dog people or non hunters, you know, I can't leave you give that much money for a dog. That's where I don't. I wouldn't have an offshore fishing boat, but you do, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and well, the dog could die, and I said, yeah, and your boat motor could blow up, you know. So it's, <laughs> That's, right. That's right. It's um, That's exactly what my right. dad always told me, you know. He said, you, you know, go live your life and, and be able to, you know, I can always look back and say, hey, you know, I went, I did that, I enjoyed it. I see a lot of folks, they don't, you know, they don't do that. A lot of folks, it's for the, uh. You know, some folks don't lose well. Some folks, as long as they stay home, they, you know, they're, they're winners. And that's that's what makes the world go round. Oh, yeah. Because me and Mr. Joey, we have that, you know, he stays home. He pleasure hunts and he trains dogs. And I go out and compete. And, you know, it's uh, two different entities. It's just two totally different worlds when you leave. And, you know, my dad, always told me, so you you know, you'll find out. And he always tells me a story. There was a, a guy in our hometown and he... He was a good boxer and, you know, he went and he boxed around. He went to Jacksonville and then he, you know, he went up. And long story short, he went, up, you know, he, he went to Madison Square Gardens and I think his name was Max Horde, but he ended up fighting the guy, uh, Tony Danza, and, uh, which oh, I okay. think he yeah. went on yeah, to be it's a movie, movie star. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But he ended up fighting Tony Danza, I think, in Madison Square Gardens and Tony Danza knocked him out like, six seconds or something into the first round in Madison Square Gardens, And my dad, you know, he, the story, like he said, you know, you can look good in your hometown, you know, but there's when you cross state lines and you cross into other states, you realize there's a lot of good dogs out there, you know, and the, the competitiveness now it's um, you know, everybody's looking for ideas. Like I so, say, whether it be through training, breeding, feed, supplements, you know, conditioning is, uh, everybody's always looking for that competitive areas that they can, you know, try to get. And, and like I say, with the, with the fast dogs, they're going to, they're going to get there. You know, you have guys like, you know, you know, Ken, like I said, we were joking earlier, I think, Nisley, yeah. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. great guy, uh, you know, um, Andy Curley with the, you know, the champ bread feist that he has, a great friend of mine. They, you know they're hunting in open events against these bigger dogs, and they're winning. Yeah. They're competing on a national level, and it's um. I think the folks are seeing, hey, you know, all this you know, this stuff ain't bad. You know, what I mean, these guys' dogs ain't hurting fast. they you know, these dogs nowadays they're not going to be with each other anyway. You don't want two dogs together. Yeah. You know, we don't. I mean, don't don't take two to three one. I'd rather have two singles and one duck. <laughs> you know. Oh it's, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know how, I mean, when you first get into it, I had fast, and, you know, I'd listen to guys, and, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I got a fast, but I'll, I'll turn it loose with anything in the world, you know, and I'm thinking, what, you know, what's the difference, and then you find out that there's a difference in the breed and there's a difference in the way the dogs would stay treated, and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I got one, she stays in the house, and, actually, my, the Tarzan dog we bought from Joey, he got rattlesnake bit years ago back in on November the 30th. He lived through it. Like I said, we got him the anti-venom and all that. And my wife, she just asked me, you know, that we don't have any children. So she said, you know, please don't hunt little thighs if the snake gets her, you know, because that's her little old dog. And uh, so I never really took her and competed with her. She's a super nice little dog, like I say, tree squirrels and stands straight up, toenailed in. I trained her with a training collar, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, It's funny, though. You know, to watch her treat, you know, you see other dogs tree on a video, and when she goes in and she treats them, and she toenails in, and she's, it drives my dad nuts, because man, I wish you'd take that little dog and hunt her, or whatever, because I can, I mean, I can let all these dogs out in the yard, I got five acres fenced in, and trees, I got a little bit of woods in the back, and, and dogs can be out for an hour, and I can go in the house and get her and turn her loose, she'll be treating three minutes, you know what I mean, she, <laughs> but she she knows where the squirrels are you know and she does do a lot of her stuff by sight but it's yep. just a difference yeah. in the dog you know she'll treat one off the ground or she'll treat one out there it don't matter to her but i mean she'll just toenail in and you know there'll be joker or one of these other dogs they running right by her and daddy said well you can plus her up <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh i i just wish I actually wish i could have got her and competed with her you know at a when she was younger and all, cause I believe I, you know, could have been really successful with her, but yeah, it's the, the breeding and the, you know, the competition's changing, you know, yeah, when the is. folks are, are seeing that it's a, you can get out there and compete on that, that national level. If that's what you choose.
0: To yeah. Say. We, we enjoy the Feist Dogs a lot. And then we, so I'm, I'm glad you touched on all that, but man, you, so that's one of the main reasons we wanted you on here is to, you know, give your testimony and you've got an absolutely wonderful one. And I'm, I'm glad you yeah. was able to get on here and share it. And, Oh, uh, you know, we've got—I don't—I don't know how many thousands of listens now. I think it's—I think we're touching 15, 16,000 plays now. Yeah. And, you know, so we're—you know—reaching a lot of people. And we are, while on that subject, thankful for all you guys listening because we had no idea when we started this what it would—what it would do. We just have fun with it. But you know, I—you reached out to me and I listened to that podcast and that's why I told Steve and I was like, he's—he's going to be a good one. And I'm—I'm I'm so glad that yeah. you reached out to yeah. us and because you know we don't. We don't get we don't get that in every episode and that you have such a wonderful story. So I'm I'm very, very, yeah. very thankful that you was able to get on here and tell it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Like I say, you know, I, I love to talk about the dogs but like I say, I have to you know, I, I love to be able to give that story and because I do know that like I say, I touched on earlier there's a lot of folks that are not going they may not go to church or they may not, but you know, they're able to get saved, you know, through my my message, or, you know, it touches a family member of theirs, or, you know, like my pastor said, I'll never know all the hearts and lives that I've actually touched until I get to heaven and realize that, you know, the that's right. Influence that I've been able to make, you know, through my story, through my testimony. I'm not proud of my past. I'm not, you know, I don't glow on it and be like, you know, this is what I used to be. I'm, I'm ashamed of what I used to be. I'm just thank God to give me a second chance, and I'm, i hoping that through the dogs, and you know, we we get to meet and talk to people, and you know, we get to, the camaraderie and stuff like that, and then normally it'll, God will give me an opportunity, to open the door, and I'm, you know, and I'm able to just speak to folks and and try to. I don't browbeat people or tell them they're living wrong. But if they ask or you know they want to know about my story, I like to say I have a lot of people that message me. Man, I really heard about that. Or you know, would you mind touching on this? Or what about this dog? And you know, generally it'll, you know, it, it opens up and gives me a foot a foothold into their life to be able to help them if they need help. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So-
0: well. We've kept you on here for a long time. But and if you want to, if you go <laughs> yeah, 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 if you don't care, out. just hang on just a minute and we'll talk to you. But right now, guys, we're going to end the podcast and be sure you tune in next week. Thank you and God bless. Guys, thanks for listening. Please take time to follow me on Facebook and Instagram and tune in next week for another show with Treat Up Podcast.